I'm on a diet. Well, we're in uh, week three of a series, uh, last week of a series we're calling Scorecard, and uh, we're going to talk about that today, but I want to invite you to stand with me as we read a passage of scripture. We're looking at uh, Matthew chapter five. This is the words of Jesus. If you've ever wondered, what's the heart of Jesus' teaching? Where would I go if I wanted to learn everything that Jesus taught about life and what's important? You would go to this, these three chapters, Matthew five, six, and seven, known as the Sermon on the Mount. These are the direct words of Jesus about what Jesus considers to be important. I'll read it aloud. You can uh, follow along on the screen. You have heard that it was said, Jesus said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Well, we've been uh, working for the last several weeks to figure out uh, what our scorecard in life is meant to be by God. We all have a scorecard. We all have some way we uh, articulate or think or believe that uh, if we do these certain things, then we are a success. And uh, I want to make the argument that a lot of the anxiety, and if you read, do any reading about our culture, you know that anxiety is at epidemic levels in our culture. We're very, very anxious as a society and as a country. Uh, I would argue that that comes from having the wrong scorecard. We've got the wrong thing in place, and it's causing us a tremendous amount of pain and a tremendous amount of anxiety, and that if we could replace that maybe sometimes unspoken scorecard with a specific scorecard that, that God says, these are the things that I'm counting in your life, then that could lower our anxiety and give us a better life. In fact, so if you've been here for this series, you heard us talk about the fact that we measure while God weighs. So, you know, we're in the game of, you know, how, how tall am I compared to other people, and am I doing better than them, and if I'm doing better than them, I must be okay, and I'm not as bad as them, so that means I'm better. And uh, that While we're in that game, that God uses a different measuring stick and that God weighs things. He's looking for depth. We're looking for breadth. We're looking for uh, what we can see with our eyes. God is looking for what we can't see, the kind of person that we're becoming and how life is shaping us to be a certain kind of a person, and uh, so we're, we're after that. We're trying to figure that out. Now, this is, uh, this is actually very important. Maybe you've, you've just come, and this is, oh, okay, scorecard, yeah, God, scorecard, blah, 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 blah. Uh, this is actually really important. I, I, this came home to me on Friday in, in a new kind of way. I was attended the funeral of a, a, a father of a, a, a real-lifer, and uh, a couple of real-lifers, and uh, sitting there listening, and, and the son of the man who died, he was 85, um, wonderful man, loved Jesus with all his heart, his son, who was old enough to have grandkids of his own, stood up and talked about the influence of his dad and how his dad, what he was like before he met Jesus and what he was like after and how it changed the trajectory of their family. And uh, I was around the family during the week and they talked about what a great family it was because of their dad's faith. And I realized that how I operate in the world, I'm passing that on to my kids, and they're going to pass that on to their kids, and they're going to pass that on to their kids. What's at stake in getting the right scorecard, articulating it the way that God articulates it, is the generations that come after you. So don't, don't sit here and think, well, this applies to certain kinds. No, this applies to you because you have an impact on the generations that come after you. 
Not only that, uh, for the church, which is Jesus' family, the, the Jesus' family has a mission. Our mission is to make disciples who love God and love people and serve the world. And very frankly, as a church, our mission will never work if all the people who are part of our church just have the scorecard that everybody else has. They got the same old thing. How much money do you have? What's your job? What kind of house do you live in? If that's the way we're measuring our lives, the mission of the church will fall flat. So there's actually a lot at stake here. Now, uh, if we were to review, we'd go back the first week we talked about uh, the kind of relationships that you have. And the word from the scriptures is family. And this is about who are you close to. So I hope you're, hope you're measuring. You're saying, okay, who am I close to? Today, did I get closer to people in my family? Did I get, do I, did I get closer to my friends? Did, did, did things get deeper? Did they get better? I hope, hope you're asking those kinds of questions. Uh, then last week, we talked about the impact that you would have in your life, that you would become a person who blesses other people. Uh, this is about making a difference. You know, does your life make a difference? Does it count? Does it matter? Do you impact other people in some way? And then today we're going to talk about um, attitude, which is basically how I am treating people. Now, this, uh, this series is very, very personal to me because this is a scorecard that I have adopted. And um, I, I use this. I've, it's, um, it's hard. I'm not going to lie to you. It's simple, but it's, but it's hard. And, and I, at the end of my day, I, I gauge whether or not my day was a success by whether or not these things on my scorecard happened. Um, I'm not gauging my success by how much money I have or the car I drive or did these things happen in my life? Well, today was a success. I did okay today. I did, I did all right today. Um, and, and very honestly, and the actuarial tables would say that it's now taken me half my life to finally figure this out. So if I can pass on to someone else in their teens or 20s, uh, this, is the, this is a better scorecard. I would have saved myself a lot of grief. So I hope you can learn uh, from my mistakes. Now, now the problem that we're going to talk about today is, is our attitude and how we treat other people. And the problem in learning how to treat people differently the way Jesus would treat people is that other people don't treat us well. Or is it just me? <laughs> um, my wife was uh, pulling into uh, this, it was at the beginning of the school year when it was still warm out, was pulling into the drive through at Dairy Dip. Can I get an amen? Come on, somebody. Um, the blueberry shake. Oh, it's going to be in heaven. Um, she's pulling in, and, and if you know how that works, if you go to Dairy Dip, the, it, it's a dead-end street where you pull in to the, the drive through and she was pulled in kind of partially blocking the street, and it was a nice day, and so she had the window down, and the car in front was someone that she knew, and she was talking through the window while they're waiting their turn, and they're just talking, and she out of the, kind of out of the, the back, in the background, she heard this, what sounded like yelling and honking, but she's kind of ignored it, it's a beautiful day, birds are chirping, <laughs> it's great, and she turned, she looked, and my kids were looking over, and there was someone uh, who was inconvenienced by the fact that they had to wait a minute to get out of the cul-de-sac, and they were laying on the horn and dropping as many bombs as they could. And we don't talk this way at our house, and so my kids are like, <laughs> and, my, and, my, and my wife's like, what is going on? Why is someone treating me this way? Right? And I'm thinking, why are you treating my sweet, precious wife like that? What are you doing, you jerk? People have a tendency to not treat us well. If you ride with me in a car uh, for any length of time, I will tell you uh, straight out that I'm a 
terrible driver. I'm awful. Um, um, you, you, uh, I used to be a youth pastor, and I would tell parents, hey, your kids probably shouldn't ride with me. I'm awful. Um, so I, I, I do get my own kids safely to places and me safe, but everyone else on staff, when they get in, they're like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> Scott's driving. And, and, uh, so I'm, but I, I know I'm a bad driver. I know I probably cut people off and don't realize it. I know I probably deserve some of the number one signs I get. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, but I, I, was, I was driving one day, and I'm, I'm sure it was probably my fault. I'm, I'm sure it was. But I looked behind me, and uh, there was a guy in a, in a truck, in a, in, a, in a utility truck, and he was saying some things, and I could make out, because I can read lips of those words, and I could see what he's saying, and then finally I turned, and he gave this, like, sarcastic clap in the mirror, and I'm like, you, it's hard to treat either other people well, because people don't treat us well, right? Or is it just me? Now, this is the heart of what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching us how to treat people differently. And this very famous passage where Jesus talks about loving our enemies and learning to do that, that sounds so incredibly difficult on the surface. Um, He's teaching us how to have a different attitude toward people. And he starts out by saying, you have heard that it was said. In other words, he's saying, listen, this is kind of how the world operates, and we all kind of know it. You have heard that it was said, love your enemy, or love your neighbor, and hate uh, your enemy. That's, that's kind of how the world operates. Now, if you know, Jesus is there quoting when he says, love your enemy. He's quoting uh, Leviticus chapter 19 uh, in the Old Testament that says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's great, isn't it? Uh, so, and what that means is, if you've been around, you've heard us talk about this, is that uh, what Jesus is saying when he says, love your neighbors as you love yourself, is take a bucket, fill it up with everything that you want in your life, all the good things, all the good words, all the good actions, fill it up to the top, to the brim, like, oh, yeah, take that bucket and pour it out on your neighbor. That's what Jesus is saying. But then he goes on and he says, uh, but, and you've heard it said, you know, but hate your enemy. Now, uh, where in the world would Jesus get this from Scripture? It's kind of a hard stretch to see where Jesus would get this from Scripture. Uh, some scholars think that he's reaching back to Deuteronomy chapter 23, and, and the Israelite people had some uh, common enemies. The Moabites were one of them. Uh, there's a whole history to that and why that all came to be, but they, they hated the Moabites. And Deuteronomy chapter 23 says this, uh, do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. Now, this right here, in fact, some of you are now writing this verse down because this is how you think about some people that are your enemies. You're like, oh, I'm not seeking a treaty of friendship with them. As long as I live, it's in the Bible. <laughs> uh, that's, that's how it is. I, I, I'm not sure Jesus was reaching to that verse. That's just what some scholars conjecture. But I do think Jesus knows how the human heart works, and the human heart works like this. I love my people. I hate my enemies. That's just how it operates, Jesus. That's just how life is. How could it be anything other than that? Now, here's what Jesus is saying when he's saying, you've heard it said. And, and if you know the Sermon on the Mount, he uses several different instances where he says, you've heard it said this, but I say this. But what he's saying is th- the way that it operates is a sin. It's against God. It takes you in the wrong direction. Now, sin is not a word that you hear in our culture unless someone's making fun of it. So let's make sure we're on the same page when we talk about what sin is and what it means. Uh, There are multiple words that are translated to the English word sin, several words in Hebrew in the Old Testament, several words in Greek in the New Testament. 
Um, in, in the New Testament, there are two main words. One of them is a, a, refers to the kind of errors that you have. It's actually a word from archery that means that you miss the mark, that you're a little wide of where you need to be. Um, Paul says it this way in Romans 3, uh, 22 and 23. He says, there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. In other words, there's no difference if you grew up religious or non-religious. It doesn't matter. For all have this error, have, have missed the mark, and fall short of the glory of God. I, this week, my, I sent my two um, youngest kids into the kitchen to clean the kitchen. It was their chore. You could clean the kitchen. I went and uh, sat myself down with a nice book, and I'm uh, going to read, doing some reading, and, and uh, thinking that I've got, you know, I've got like 15 minutes, and I hear them squabbling like brother and sister do when they're trying to put away the dishes, and then all of a sudden I hear, You know, and I'm like, oh, okay, let's go get the broom. <laughs> what happened, guys? It was an error. It was in, in this uh, translation. It, 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 it was a, it was a, it was a sin. It's, it, we do this all the time, though. We're, we commit errors. Our, we're kids, our kids don't do their chores. Uh, uh, your neighbor doesn't do what they, you ask them to do. A coworker comes in late. It's, you know, the song. Uh, we're only human. Born to make mistakes. I can't sing the song, but what you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like the, the human lot that we make errors. We just don't get it right, and we, we mess things up. Not only do we do this against people, but we do this against God. You know, we fail to help someone in need that God loves, and we, or we overspend, and so we have nothing left to give to people who need it, or we neglect our relationship with God because we're too busy, or we lose it on somebody God loves. And uh, all of us, the Bible says, all of us come up short. We all err. We all mess up. We all sin. But the, the, the meaning of that gets uh, ratcheted down even more uh, because there's another word that's translated transgress or trespass. Romans 4, Paul says it this way, that Jesus was delivered over to death for our, our transgressions. Uh, transgressions are the things that we intended to do. Like, I meant it. I wasn't just making a mistake. I meant it. Like you ignored your wife's request. You lied to your teacher. You cheated someone out of compensation. Or you stole from someone. And this. So I intended to do it. And what the result was that it brought you harm. And the scripture says that we do that toward God. That we hate God in our heart. That we didn't give God the first place in our life. That we ignore God's commands. That we hate God's word. That we're all guilty. All of us are in the same boat. All of us have done this. Like Paul says it in Romans 3. He says there's... There's nobody that's righteous, not one. Doesn't matter what, if you grew up in church or you don't know anything about God, there is nobody that is righteous, no, not one. Sin is a massive problem for us and for God because when we err, when we transgress against one another, it, that's what causes the anger and the bitterness and the unforgiveness between, it separates us from each other. Uh, when we err and we transgress, it separates us from ourselves because of the shame and the guilt that we feel about how we can't ever seem to measure up and can't ever seem to get it right. It, it, sin separates us from God. We don't want anything to do with God when we're in the middle of our errors and our transgressions. But now listen, this is what I'm getting ready to say next. You need to pay really close attention because this could change your life. How does God deal with our errors and transgressions. Do you know? On the cross, God takes and absorbs our errors and transgressions. I understand that you're not getting the immediate connection that I'm trying to make, and I'm going to make this clear for you. Here's what the cross means. 
The cross means that Jesus would rather die for the people who committed the sins, the errors, and the transgressions instead of punishing them. That God's remedy for our errors and our transgressions is grace. That's how God deals with our errors and our transgressions. He gives us grace. Now, if you've got uh, your sermon notes right there, um, this is what grace is. Grace is giving someone what they don't deserve or haven't earned. This is what God does for us. We've erred. We've transgressed. God gives us what we don't deserve and what we haven't earned. Now, notice what Jesus says when he says, now, you've heard it said, this is how human beings operate and this is sin. I'm going to tell you a different way. He goes on in verse uh, 44, and he says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because he causes, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, he doesn't discriminate. He gives everybody grace. Now, let's make sure we understand the illustration that Jesus is using here. Let's, 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 let's think about this for a minute, about what sun and rain are. Um, what, what is sun? Sun is, is warmth. It's a new day. It's a new opportunity. Your day doesn't go well today. Uh, maybe it's going fine right now. Maybe it all goes haywire at lunch. Somebody says something. Somebody's mad at somebody else. You get some bad news. Now, you go to bed tonight. Guess what's going to happen in the morning? The sun is going to come up. And it's a new day. When our kids have a terrible day and things don't go well for them and it's hard to be a kid and, and somebody said something at school or their brother said something to them or uh, we sit down on their bed at the, ed- at the end of the night like we do every night and we say our prayers and we give hugs and kisses and then we always say this when they've had a bad day. We reach all the way back into Lamentations in the Old Testament and we, we say, guys, you know what? This is what God thinks about your bad day. The book of Lamentations says that God's faithfulness is great and that his mercies are new every morning. Guys, tomorrow is a do-over. That's that's what it is. That's what the sun is. Now, notice what Jesus says about the sun, right? Warmth, new day, new opportunity, that God gives warmth, a new day, a new opportunity to the good. And we go, yes, of course, because they earned it. Those are the people who are going to do something with a new opportunity. But he doesn't stop there. What does he say? And... To the evil. What is that? That's grace. Then he uses the illustration of rain. Now we think of rain and we go, oh, it's a day, ruined my day. You know, I got a dreary day, it's raining. Well, if you're a farmer, rain means something totally different. If you're a farmer, rain means the opportunity for growth and life. Now, what does Jesus say God does with the rain? He gives He gives the opportunity, He sends the opportunity for growth and life. To the righteous, and we go, yeah, of course, they're going to use that opportunity the right way. They're the righteous people. They're the people who are in the right. And the unrighteous. What is that? That's grace. Because that's how God deals with our errors and our transgressions. It's with grace. See, sin is our problem. This is the next blank. Grace is God's answer. Sin is our problem. Grace is God's answer. Now, um, this is, this is where it's going to get a little bit painful for a second, okay? But I, I promise it's a good hurt. <laughs> you you got you to personalize this because has anyone ever made an error or intentionally transgressed against you? Now, if you're being honest, we're in church. 
the answer is what? How do you deal with the errors and transgressions against you? Do you give warmth and a new day and a new opportunity? Do you send the opportunity for growth and life? Now, I ask these same questions to myself. I I, I understand I'm not just putting you on the spot. I already put myself on the spot earlier this week, and I went, ow, this really hurts. Because when my way, this is the next point, when my way of dealing with sin is different than God's, I experience spiritual dysfunction. You know what dysfunction is, right? It's when the function is dissed. It's when things get really screwed up. It's when things are not working right. In a family, dysfunction feels like pain and bitterness and fear and anger and frustration and distance. At work, dysfunction feels like if it gets really bad, someone comes back and shoots up the place. And you and I have a gap between how we treat people who do us wrong and how God treats people who do him wrong. Because, see, his answer to sin is always to show grace. It's never to show punishment. So what happens is we, if we, when there's a gap there, we experience spiritual dysfunction. That's why faith is hard, and we have to feel like we have to grit our teeth, and we have to try harder, and we're frustrated, and this just is not working for me. I don't get it. But why is this not working? Here's a, here's a telltale question. Do you always take the high road until you find it necessary to take the low road? Like, I'll treat them well, but they didn't treat me well, and I will tell you what I am going to do. That gap is why you feel dysfunction. And, and the world's scorecard that Jesus is saying is, listen, the scorecard is love your people and hate your enemies. But I have a different scorecard that I, I operate by and I want you to operate by too. And that's love. Yeah, love your people, but also love your enemies and intentionally do good to them. Now, this is, this is what made Jesus so compelling to the people who witnessed his life. So much so that John in his gospel, the beginning of his gospel about the life of Jesus, he says that Jesus, we beheld his glory. He was full of grace and truth. Like it was so obvious when you were around him that when someone would do him wrong, that he didn't repay them in kind, but he would, he would repay them with grace. And he would forgive them and he would love them. And so Jesus says, he goes on, he says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are you not even the tax collectors, the worst people you could think of doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? And then he says this incredible, it seems on the face so impossible. Verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, the word there doesn't mean, um, like, make no errors. And he's referencing how we treat the people who do us wrong. And, and the word that's used there implies what the end goal is. Like, the end goal is that you would treat people the way God treats people. That's, that's the scorecard that we're to measure our lives by. Uh, that's, that's what we're to do, that's what we're to use, is that, that specific scorecard. Well, now the question is, how do you do that? 
How do you, how do, you do that? So this is the third thing. I want you to, if you're keeping, track, uh, keeping uh, notes there on God's scorecard, we talked the first week about that word is family, and then the second word is bless, and then today, number three on God's scorecard is grace. Grace. I've got three questions uh, that might help you uh, this week as you work to put this into practice in your life. And this is the first one is, uh, do I know how to receive God's grace? How am I regularly receiving God's grace? Uh, I've found that you can't give what you don't have. If you want to give someone money, you know what it requires? You've got to have money. <laughs> um, if you want to pass on to your kids confidence, and a lack of fear, guess what you got to have? Confidence and a lack of fear. You can't give what you don't have. It's very hard to pass grace onto someone if you have not first received it. See, God doesn't ask us to do something without giving it to us first. So let's make sure we, we dig down and understand what grace is. Grace is what God gives us at no cost to ourselves, and what we can't pay for on our own. This is how the prophet Isaiah says it. Um, in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, in the Old Testament, he said all, he's, he's talking about the human predicament. And he says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. I want you to zero in on that, that phrase right there, filthy rags. Can, can you handle what that word really means? Uh, sometimes the translators know what it means, and they're like, well, I'm not sure everyone can handle that, so let's just call it rags. Can, can you handle it? He's not talking about uh, when you reach down the sink and you've, you've been using that cloth uh, to wash the dishes, and you take the cloth and you shove it under the sink, and it's got dried on egg and, and some kind of weird green thing, and you take that and it smells. That's filthy, right? But he's not talking about that kind of rag. Do you know what he's talking about? is the cloth that a woman would use every 28 days. And it was a sign that that woman had not been able to bring about new life in her womb. And what Isaiah is saying and what Jesus is saying is that our righteous acts that we think will earn us God's favor are to God in the our attempt to earn God's favor like that, they are a sign of our infertility. Our, our, our ability to bring new life doesn't work. And if you've ever been around someone who's struggled with infertility, every 28 days there's a sign that happens that says, I wasn't able to do it again. <laughs> it points to the infertility of our own righteousness. We cannot make ourselves right with God. It is a gift from God. That's the meaning of the word grace is gift. It is a gift from God. And so you have to receive the gift of God in order to give the gift back to somebody else. You have to be able to, I get it. Like Paul says in one place, he says, listen, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The word he uses in the original language is it mega abounded. There was a giant pile of errors and transgressions from me and other people. It was huge. It was bigger than I could see. But where that was, that pile was huge and enormous. God's grace did mega abound. It was even bigger. It was even taller until you go, oh, I see. I needed that grace. You can never give it to somebody else. This is how Eugene Peterson says it. All the persons of faith I know are sinners, doubters, uneven performers. Listen, 
We are secure not because we are sure of ourselves, not because of our righteous acts, but, we, but because we trust that God is sure of us. And, and you, you, when, you, when you discover what grace is, you realize that you're in because of God's grace, not my performance. Now listen, be, let me be honest with you. If you've been with us through this series and you're like, yeah, I'd like to change my scorecard. Yeah, my scorecard's killing me. Yeah, my scorecard's causing me anxiety. I don't know what to do about that. If you're going to change your scorecard at all, you need Jesus Christ. First, you need to receive as a gift the benefits of his death on the cross. That when he saw your sin, he gave you grace. And then the second is after you go, okay, that was for me and I couldn't earn that and you did that for me. Then you allow the teaching of his life to guide guide you from here on out. It, you can't change anything without that. And at that, when you do that, that is the beginning of supernatural change in your life. And it's the beginning of you receiving the grace of God on a regular basis so that you can then turn around and give it to somebody else. Here's the second question. Is will I choose to see past the other person's moment? We interact with people, and they don't treat us right, and, and they're having a moment, right? They're, they're either intentionally doing something to hurt us, or they're just making a mistake. Uh, psychologists say that we have what's called a motivation bias, so that when we, when we make a mistake, we judge ourselves on the basis of our motive, not on what we did. But when we're around somebody else, and they screw up, we don't judge them on the basis of their motive. We judge them on the basis of what they did. Aha! I knew you would do it right. And what grace does is it allows us to see past the other person's moment because first we recognize we've received grace from God. And then because we've received grace from God, we can then give grace to ourselves and go like, yeah, I tried my best. I didn't make it. I didn't do so well. And then we can see past our, that person's moment and let them have the same pass that we give to ourselves. That's what it means to give someone grace. Third question. Do I pass on grace for something else? Uh, this is an extension cord. You didn't come here today to learn that, but <clears throat> now you know. Um, and, and what happens with an extension cord, for those of you who have never used one, um, <clears throat> is you, you plug it in, and, and then you plug something else in, and whatever uh, it plugs into just passes through the cord and is passed on. Right? It doesn't change it. Uh, it doesn't absorb, if it's negative energy, it doesn't absorb it. It just passes it on. Uh, this right here, however, is a, a water filter. And um, this is uh, engineered in such a way that you can take the dirtiest water in the world and there is something on the inside that that dirt is stopped by and it does not allow it in and it transforms the water into something clean that you can drink and that will give you life. I hope you see the application, right? You are either an electrical cord just passing on the bitterness. Oh, I had a bad day and guess who else is going to have a bad day? You are too. You're, you're either that or by God's grace, you're a water filter. 
Now, this is, this is Christian's secret weapon because we walk into any scenario. We, this, is, this is Christianity's secret weapon. Islam doesn't have grace. Buddhism doesn't have grace. Atheism doesn't have grace. Hinduism doesn't have grace. Mormonism doesn't have grace. Uh, only Christianity have grace. Were you saying you're better than? Uh, no, I'm not saying I'm better. I'm just saying we have grace. <laughs> that's because that's how God, we understand God treats sin is he treats it with grace. And all the other ones are like you got to earn some way. Like you got to figure out how to figure it out on your own. Work it out how to not be this. And be. This is God puts something in us that enables us to be people who don't pass on the pain. We transform it into love and we love our enemy even when they do us wrong. I'm not telling you that it's easy. I'm not saying to you that you're not going to feel something in your heart. I'm not saying any of that. I'm simply saying that God's grace transforms us into this. And I would like it very much if for you, this became your scorecard. Today, did I treat people with grace? In the morning, Lord, today I'm going to meet some people who are going to do me wrong. They, they may not mean it, and they may not mean it, and I just assume out of the gate that they meant it, and I get all worked up. And, and God, today I'm, I don't want to do that. I'm going to need your help. God, today someone's going to intentionally do me wrong. And when they intentionally do me wrong, I'm going to take your example that you, you, when I intentionally did you wrong, you gave me grace. And so you, you use me as a conduit today to God to transform that into love. How would you like to be that kind of person and pass that on to the next generation? At your funeral, the things they'll say about you. I've done a lot of funerals with people who are like this. I'd like us just for a moment to pause. I I just want to ask you, if you would, just to, to bow your head, close your eyes. This is just not... For any reason other than you can have a private moment, no one's, no one's looking at you. They're having their own moment. And I would invite you to take an inventory of your life. And I would ask you first those questions. Do you know the grace of God? Do you know it? Is it a reality in your heart? Is it a reality in your experience? If it's not, say, God, I, I, I really don't know how to get past my own frustrations and bitterness and anger and fear and all that. I don't in myself know how, so I'm going to need you to do something supernatural. And that's what grace is. It's the supernatural gift of God. Maybe today you would uh, accept what Jesus did for you on the cross and you would say, I'm going to commit my life to living by your teaching, Jesus, and I want a different kind of life. I want a different scorecard. Um, I'd ask you, uh, do, do you, are you able today at lunch, this afternoon, at bedtime, when someone does something, would you ask God for the grace to see past that person's moment? And then would you ask God for the strength and the courage to be a water filter and not an electrical cord? Uh, God, we, uh, 
we hear this message from you, um, what you what you taught us about loving our enemies, it's so counterintuitive. It feels on the face wrong. But that's because we've cultivated bitterness. We've been defined by fear. We've counted up the hurts. And so today, God, we want to lay those things down. I, I know that's not... Uh, an easy process and, and rarely is it instantaneous, but God, we want to lay those things down. We want to lay those things down in favor of grace. Thank you that you never treat us the way we deserve. <laughs> if you did, who of us could stand? Instead, you take our sin and you don't return it to us. You absorb us and you give us grace. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for the resurrection. There's the possibility of new life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we want to be now people of grace, uh, people who treat other people with grace because we know what it is in our heart. So we ask for your help this week in living this out. We pray this in your name. All God's people said, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. We always leave you with a blessing, a good word. And you'll see people around you holding out their hands. Uh, to receive the blessing. Now, I know there's a couple of you that you didn't get the first two blanks because I just realized I didn't fill those in for you. You can ask me. Now, there's a couple of you are like, I'm going to go home, and he didn't tell me those two blanks. Uh, for, for all six of you, come see me. I'll tell you what they were. Uh, receive this blessing, okay? You're sent now to love the God who loved you when you did it all wrong, <laughs> on purpose, loved you anyway, gave you grace, forgave you, paid the price himself. You're sent to love that God. To love people in his name, in his way, and to serve the world in his name. Hug someone, tell me you love him. Need prayer? Our prayer team's now front. See ya.